0: If you got your Bibles with you this morning, let's go ahead and turn to Luke 2. Luke chapter number 2 is where we're going to be at. And uh, this is obviously a familiar passage of Scripture for this time of the year. But uh, we know that the, the Christmas season is already well upon us. We haven't been singing Christmas songs this morning, and I'm being the Grinch that I am. I'm glad for that. <laughs> but... Christmas season's already in full swing. Everywhere we're going, there's decorations. They've already had their lighting ceremony here in town. You go down to, to the shopping center and there's lights and Christmas trees and all of the shops have their decorations. Everywhere we go, we're surrounded by Christmas stuff. And even though I tend to be a little bit grinchy, I believe that this is a, a great and a joyous occasion because even the world itself is forced at this time to, to at least acknowledge the fact of the birth of our Lord and Savior. They may do everything they can to try to push God out of uh, out of society and out of their minds, but at least during Christmas, there is at least an acknowledging of His birth. Uh, but each, each year at this time, I feel that it's at least fitting for me to kind of pull away from our normal series that we're in and take the opportunity to... Uh, look at some Christmas passages and look at some things surrounding the the first Christmas. And I've, I tend to do that each year. And so this year will be no different. But rather than pausing our series, this is kind of like a detour because I believe that uh, our, our theme of refocus is still necessary here at Christmas time. And we need to become refocused at Christmas. We need to get our, our vision clearly uh, as to what this season is about. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the coming weeks. But uh, although Christmas is all around us, it's easy for us to lose sight or to lose focus of its true purpose of what it's about. We think of the gifts and the gatherings. We think about uh, feasts and family. We think about uh, even uh, presents and Christmas trees, heaven forbid, and Santa Claus. And maybe if you're a little bit more spiritual, you think about Mary and Joseph. You think about the trip to Bethlehem. You think about a crowded inn and an empty stable. You think about the, the baby that's laying in the manger in silent night and away in a manger in the first Noel. You think of all these different things. But Jesus didn't come to give us a holiday. He didn't give us an excuse to Stuff our guts with a Christmas meal. He didn't give us an ex- come to give us an excuse to to share presents and gifts with one another, or to kill each other shopping for those presents and gifts. Right? That's not the reason why he came. Uh, he didn't come to just uh, give us an encouraging story about Mary and Joseph and a baby. He didn't come just to uh, bring about a religion, but instead he came to bring about salvation. And that is the the entire purpose of the baby in the manger. If he came and was only born in the manger and lived and he died and that was the end of it, it would mean nothing to us. But instead, he was born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life, and he offered up his life as a sacrifice for you and I, for us to have eternal life. And that is truly what Christmas is about. And so we're going to look in Luke chapter number uh, two, and we're going to begin reading down in verse number uh, 25. And though Luke two is a familiar passage of scripture, and uh, many of us will read this around Christmas time, the passage that we're looking at today isn't necessarily one of them that we pay much attention to. Okay, and so in Luke chapter two and verse twenty five, this is after the Annunciation. This is after the birth. This is after the angels announcing to the shepherds and them coming. It's after all of that, and just a short time. Uh, Mary and Joseph, they get the baby, they take him up to the temple to have him uh, circumcised, have him named, all these different things that they're going to be doing. And whenever they arrive there, there is someone who's been waiting for them. And so let's look at verse 25 of Luke chapter number two. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fallen rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you once again today. Just thank you for the day that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for this time together as, uh, as a church family. We thank you, Lord, for your word and that we are able to uh, take it and, and read it and study it and look into it and uh, be strengthened and encouraged through it. I just pray that you would uh, be with me now as I attempt to uh, teach and to preach your word, that you would just uh, guide my thoughts and bring to remembrance the things that we've studied. I pray, Lord, that you be with each person here, that they would glean from the service exactly what they need. I pray that it would be a a help to them. I pray, Lord, that it would help them to refocus, Lord, and that throughout this season, Lord, that their attention and their focus would be upon you and on what you have done for them. And Lord, I just pray that you'd be with those who are unable to be with us this morning. I know we've got folks who are traveling, folks that are sick, and I just pray you'd be with each one of them. And Lord, I just pray that you'd be with these requests that's been mentioned. Lord, there's uh, people that will be traveling and be with Mary and her her daughter with the, the sickness and things that's going on there. Just pray your hand be upon them. And Lord, we just thank you for being so good to us and thank you for loving us. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name and amen. So, in this passage of scripture that we see today, we we find a man that was waiting on Jesus. He was waiting to see this happen. This man was an old man, he'd spent his lifetime anticipating he spent his lifetime looking for something and finally at the end of his life he finally lays eyes on the very one that he had been looking for the one that he had been waiting for but he wasn't the only one who had been waiting he wasn't the only one who was looking he wasn't the only one that was anticipating because as we look in this passage we find that jesus was the hope of all israel He was the one that was testified of him and prophesied of. And so whenever we even come to verse number 36, we find another woman, a woman by the name of Anna, and it says that she was a prophetess, and she was waiting as well for the consolation of Israel. And then afterward, whenever she had seen Jesus, she went out, and in verse 38, uh, and she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Israel. The point I'm trying to get across in this is there was a lot of people who was looking for this to happen. They were anticipating Jesus' coming. They were anticipating this first Christmas. There was something special about it. And so even though they were searching, we find that uh, Simeon finally proclaimed whenever he laid eyes on Jesus, he says, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. This was his response. I've been looking, I've been looking, I've been waiting, I've been searching. And whenever he's in Jesus, he says, I have seen God's salvation. And that was what stuck out to him. That was the thing that he was looking for. But I want to ask you this morning, why all this buildup? What were they anticipating? Why were they looking for Jesus? Why was this such an important time in history? Why is it that the the Jews were going about trying to find this one that was to be born? Why is it that God made such a fuss? Why was it that the angels proclaimed it? Why was it that the shepherds came? Why was it that the uh, wise men spent uh, months traveling to get to this very place? And the reason for it is one that we need to answer today as well. This is something we need to keep before us. Why did Jesus come? Why did he come? The purpose of his coming as we're here at Christmas time is something that most people, it seems like in our day and hour, are ignorant of. People know about Jesus. They don't even doubt his coming. If you ask anyone who will be intellectually honest, They're not going to deny that Jesus was a historical figure. They're not going to deny that Jesus indeed came. They're not going to deny that there was all kinds of things surrounding his birth and his life, that there are miracles attributed to him, and that something happened around his death. They're not going to doubt that he was crucified, and they're even going to say that it was claimed that he resurrected. And so anyone who's intellectually honest will assent to that. If you look at many different religions, they all really believe in Jesus. If you ask the Hindus, they say he was a good teacher. If you ask the Muslims, they say he was a prophet. If you ask the Buddhists, he was one that we can learn from. And they look at Jesus and they see him as a significant figure, but they fail to see him as a savior. Man knows that he came. They know that he lived. They know that he died on a Roman cross. They know all of these things, But why did he come? And that's what really makes the difference. He didn't come just to be a good teacher. He didn't come just to live as an example to show us what it is to go about doing good, but instead Jesus came as a Savior. But why was that salvation necessary? As we look at Jesus as his coming here and what made it necessary, He came that he might reveal God to man and to redeem man to God. If I was just to summarize it all up in one thing, he came to reveal God to man and to redeem man to God. He came as a creator to fix what was broken within his creation. He's not the one that broke it, but he was the only one that could repair it. I know as. You work on different things, and I've worked on cars, I've worked on all kinds of different things. Sometimes whenever something is broken bad enough, the only way you're ever going to get it fixed is take it back to the manufacturer, and that's what happened whenever Jesus came to this earth. If we would just go back, and I want to kind of do a little bit of an overview. I want to see what led up to that manger. What was it that led up to that event that so changed the world that it's even changed the way that we refer to dates and times, right? What was it that made that necessary? What was it that happened? If we go all the way back to Genesis 3, I'm not going to turn there. We're familiar with the passage. But in Genesis chapter number 3, God had made all of creation. He had said that it was good. At the end of creation, he said it was very good. And he put man and woman in a perfect place, surrounded by all of his goodness, surrounded by all the things that they could ever need, and able to fellowship with the God of their creation, to have an intimate relationship with, with the God that created them and provided all things for them. And the one stipulation that he put whenever he put them in the garden, he says, you can freely eat of every tree. You can enjoy all of creation. There's just one thing that I ask of you. Do not eat off of this one tree. And that was a pretty good deal, right? The world is yours. Everything is yours. Leave the one tree alone. And we might fuss at God a little bit. We might say, well, God, why did you put that off limits? And the reason why is because God wanted us to choose him. God wanted us to love him. God wanted us to trust him. And in order for that to happen, there had to be an alternative. There had to be a choice. And God says, I've done all this for you. I've provided everything for you. I've created you and put you in the perfect creation. And I just ask you to leave this one tree alone. Now you choose whether you're going to trust me or not, whether you want to choose me or not. And mankind At that point, listened to the serpent rather than listening to Christ, rather than listening to God, and they ate off of the tree. And they became; their eyes became open, and they understood good and evil. They were exposed to what sin was for the first time, and as a result, every man and every woman, every boy and girl that's been born ever since then, has inherited the sin nature of Adam and Eve. All of humanity has been plunged into sin because of that thing, and it's not just because of what they have done. We can't blame it on Adam and Eve and say, well, God's being unfair because of what they did thousands of years ago, because each one of us, as well, struggle with sin. Each one of us knows what's right, and we know what's wrong, and yet we are still bent toward wrong we are still bent toward doing the things that we ought not to do. And in our lives, there is a battle that takes place. There is a fight that takes place within us, knowing to do good and doing it not. And we continue to do that. And we understand that there is something that is broken and it needs to be fixed. As we go through all of creation, we can go to any place on this planet, any people group, and all of them testify of this very same thing, that there is a higher power, that there is a bigger being, that there is a God, and they want a relationship. They desire a relationship with that God, but they know that that relationship is broken, and they are seeking a means to mend it. You go to some of the the pagan people on distant islands, and they are Uh, Doing sacrifices and human sacrifices and throwing people into volcanoes and all kinds of things, trying to appease the gods because they know that they have sinned and came short of the glory of God. That there is something that separates them from God, there is something there that shouldn't be. Even going further than that, we find that even the things that exist in this world, the sickness, the disease, the corruption, the murders, all the different things that's happening, we understand this isn't the way that it was meant to be. This isn't the way that man was supposed to exist. This isn't the way that the world was supposed to go. And anyone you can ask is going to say there is something wrong with this world. Even today with all of the climate science and all this, they're saying we are destroying the planet. They're saying that though something is wrong with the world. We might disagree with some of their arguments and with the direction that they're going, But no matter who you talk to, there is something wrong with this world. And it is the result of sin. It is the result of things becoming corrupted all the way back then. Sin entered in. The curse came upon. Death was the result. And all of these things have fallen out as a result of that sin. And so it had to happen. It had to be that there was someone... That would pay the price. There had to be something that would happen as a result of all that to make it right, and the only one that could do it was the Lord Jesus. The only one that could do it is God Himself. And so, in order to redeem mankind unto God, in order to reveal God unto mankind, God had to come down from the th- throne of glory. He had to come down and be born as a man to walk among men and to die in their place to make right what Adam broke, okay? And so that is the reason why Jesus came to Bethlehem. That is the reason that he was born. He was coming on a mission. He didn't just come to show us how to live. He didn't just come as an example, but he came in order to die. That was his purpose. Everything that we look at around us testifies of the fact that we need intervention. We need something to happen. We need a savior. Even Paul in Romans chapter seven, he says, the good that I would, I do not. And that, that I would not, that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. We can all relate to that, right? You start out with the greatest of intentions. You start out with the right desires. You say, I'm going to do my very best. And the next thing you know, you're doing the things that you said you wouldn't do. Whenever you say, I'm going to serve God, I'm going to do these things, and you put out all of your best religious activities, whatever you do, all these great and high, noble things that you desire to do, then you look back and you haven't done it. Right? That is the flesh that's within us. There is something that is broken. Only he can come. Only he can fix it. And that is why salvation is necessary. That's why he came. Man is broken only God can fix it. The next thing I want to look at here is the plan for his coming. Because sin didn't catch God off guard. Jesus coming to this earth wasn't a plan B. All the things that led up to it wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't something that just uh, stumbled upon. But instead, all of the things that happened were carefully orchestrated by God. And I want to just go through for just a little bit and show us what it was that God had to do, what he put in place, the work of salvation to bring about salvation to mankind. Because if we just compartmentalize it, if we just look at it and say, okay, well, it was about the virgin birth, or it was about the crucifixion, or it was just these small things within history, we're missing the fact that God was involved and God was working a plan from Adam to Bethlehem, to Calvary, to here today. God has been working a plan, and God's one that's done it all. And as I said, Jesus' birth wasn't an accident, it wasn't an afterthought, but it was carefully orchestrated and planned out down to the last detail by God. In Revelation chapter number 13 and verse number 8, it says, Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Before God created all of the things that we see. Before he created all of the world, he made a plan, a way for sin to be dealt with. He volunteered himself before he ever created. Before he said, let there be light, he knew, because he's God, he knew that man was going to sin. He knew that man was going to need a Savior. And he says, I am willing to pay the price, to pay the penalty for what I'm getting ready to create so that they can know my love, they can know my mercy, and they can fellowship with me. God was willing to do that. It was his plan from the foundation of the world. And so Jesus didn't make a misstep and run afoul of the priests and the Pharisees and of the Romans and get nailed to a cross and thrown in a grave. There are some that would believe that today. Jesus was a good teacher, he was a miracle worker, he was a prophet, but he made the establishment mad and they crucified and killed him. Sad story. That wasn't the case. Everything about it was according to God's plan. Uh, And what many people don't realize is even all of the Old Testament. Why is the Old Testament there? Why do we have the story of Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, all the way down through? What is that? chronicling? Is that just something for us to read through? Why all the genealogies? Why all the different things? Is that just something for God to burden us with information for us? Is it a rule book? Is it uh, commandments to keep? Is it... But what most people don't realize is the Old Testament is the account. It is the story of God bringing salvation to mankind. All of the Old Testament is leading up to that manger and to that cross. All of it is paving the way to bring Jesus. And so Bethlehem was years, thousands of years in the making while God was carefully constructing. He was carefully guiding. He was leading and directing the events of the earth and all of mankind to work about salvation to whosoever will. Bethlehem wasn't an afterthought. The cross wasn't an accident. All of it was God's plan. And so as we look at the Old Testament as being the record of salvation and how God brought about salvation, I'm not going to go through and do a catalog of all the different things in the Old Testament. You guys will be glad for that. Okay? (laughs) But if we look at the book of Genesis, it leads us from when God created till man fell, till God narrowed it down to one family. Because in Genesis chapter number 3, God said of the seed of the woman. There is going to be a child that is born that is going to defeat, that he's going to bruise the head of the serpent. Jesus is going to come and he is going to defeat the enemy. He's going to defeat sin and Satan and the enemy. And so Genesis leads us to the very family through which that seed would come and all through it it pictures and, excuse me, all through it are pictures and promises regarding the one that's going to come. We find things such as uh, Noah and the ark, and where God protects his people through an ark of safety as judgment is coming on all of those who have rejected him. It shows his righteousness, shows his justice and judgment. We find as he chooses Abraham out of all the people, he chooses one man, chooses one family, and then he starts navigating through Abraham's family tree. It's not Ishmael, it's Isaac. And it's all the way up in the time, whenever they are old age, it's impossible for them to have a child of their own. God miraculously supplies a lineage, right? And so it's through Isaac, and it's through uh, it's through Jacob, and it's through Judah, right? And it's through Jesse, and through David, and it comes about in Bethlehem at the right time, at the right place, and God is weaving in through his story all of these things. We go into the book of Exodus. God has taken his people, this family that he has chosen, and he brings them into the largest empire at the time and protects them and grows them within Egypt so that they are not subject to all the battles and the the fighting and things of growing from a group of 70 people in Israel to being a multitude without number. Instead, they are in the incubator of Egypt, protected by the largest empire at that time, protected so they can grow safely. But then they are brought into slavery. Oh, no, to keep them separate from the Egyptians so that they do not turn away from their God, so they don't reject him and embrace paganism. And so even the slavery in Egypt is to keep them pure and to keep that lineage perfect so that Christ can come through it. In due season, after 400 years, God leads Moses to lead his people out. Because this is the family through whom Jesus is going to come, and they come out of Egypt And while they're in the wilderness, God gives them the law. And within that law, it shows them what God calls right and God calls wrong, and that they are sinners, and that they can't keep the law. But God already knew that. And so he made provision for them to offer up a substitute, a sacrifice for them to pay, to atone, to make right with God because they have sinned. And so all throughout the law, It is laying that picture, it's laying that groundwork, and it's showing them that you are sinning, you are coming short of the glory of God, but God has made a substitute. God has made a provision, God has made a plan to pay for that sin, to cover up that sin. And through all the prophets and through the law, he testifies that one day there will be a final substitute, a final sacrifice that all of these men have been waiting on. And that one that they were waiting on was seen as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the promised one. And all of Israel, because of their relationship with God throughout the Old Testament, throughout the law and all the things that was happening, they knew there was going to be one coming. As we go throughout the rest of the Old Testament with the prophets and Uh, the kingdoms and with the being carried away into captivity and all, God is disciplining them. He is guiding them. He is directing them. He is building a roadway, a pathway to Bethlehem. He's building a way, a lineage, a family, and he is constantly shepherding these people so that they don't abandon the faith, so they don't go away from God, so that they don't abandon idolatry or uh, embrace idolatry so that one day, whenever it comes time, there is a family that exists, that there is Mary and Joseph who fear God and are serving Him and are looking for the promise of God, awaiting the Messiah, so that whenever the angel comes to them and says, you have uh, you have uh, conceived of the Holy Ghost something that is precious and holy, you have been chosen, basically, to give birth to the one who is going to be the Savior and is going to bring salvation to the world. God took all of the Old Testament just to shelter a people, to direct a family, to bring about a lineage so that he could put himself onto this earth to pay for our sin and to provide salvation for whosoever believes. That's the story of the Old Testament, is God bringing about a Savior and showing us our need for him. And so my point in all of this is look at all the effort that God put in place to bring about a plan of salvation. Look at how he had to put down kingdoms and raise up other kingdoms, Look at how he was able to protect a people, how he was able to take them and put them into captivity, how he was able to bring them out of slavery, how he was able all the way through all of these different things to bring about all that he needed to do to fulfill his promises and to make a way of salvation. God wasn't hands-off, he wasn't unconcerned, and in some far distant reaches of Uh, eternity or the universe or whatever you want to say, but God was very much involved in all of the work of his creation to bring about salvation for mankind. So if you think for one minute that God doesn't care, if you think for one minute that God is setting back somewhere in the far reaches of space, expecting you to find a way to come to him, you are sadly mistaken because God has been at work since the very beginning of time to make a way to redeem you unto himself. God is the one that put forth the effort. God is the one that put out the work. God is the one that made the plan and he made it happen. God is the one that did it. And all the way through all of these things that happened, the people didn't even realize it. Have you ever thought about that? As Abraham was going about, as he was leading the people, as he was uh, raising his family, he had Ishmael and he had Isaac and he had other children afterward. As he was coming into the promised land and he never even owned any of the land, he felt like he was just kind of guessing his way through life. He felt like he was just kind of bumping along, trying to figure it out. You ever feel that way? And you're just kind of like going along in the dark. You don't know what you're supposed to do or where you're supposed to go. And you're just hoping you do the right things. And you don't realize that in the back of all of it, that God is working behind the scenes. He is putting the things in place. He is ordering the steps. He is directing the, he is the one that's in charge. And the people back then didn't know it. They didn't realize it. And yet it still happened just as he said it would. Then wherever we get to Bethlehem, Seems like a bunch of things went wrong in Bethlehem, didn't it? Why Bethlehem? Why a manger? Why a stable? Right? Why shepherds? Is it a coincidence? Is it an accident? Was it because Joseph didn't call ahead and make reservations? There's a meme going around at the moment that it's uh, Mary and Joseph, and they're arguing with each other about not having a place to stay, and it says the reason for the silent night have you all seen that? But that's not what was going on. Because if you look back, remember, God is the one orchestrating it all. And you realize what happened in Bethlehem? It was in Bethlehem that the lambs were born that were destined for temple sacrifice. The lambs that would make the atonement were born in Bethlehem. Not only were they born in Bethlehem, the shepherds that were the ones that came to see Jesus were the ones that raised the sacrificial lambs. It's believed that the, the stable, the barn that Jesus would have been birthed into was the very same or one of the same barns, stables, that the lambs would have been birthed into. And that the, the manger, the trough that he was placed into was the very same ones that, that the lambs that were destined for temple sacrifice would be placed into whenever they were born. Not only that, have you ever wondered about the swaddling clothes? Did they not bring an outfit? You know, whenever a woman goes to the hospital to, to give birth, they've got the first outfit, the first thing they're, you know, the receiving blankets, lack of preparation guys, right? But It says that she brought first her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger what is the swaddling clothes? These are strips of cloth that the shepherds would wrap up those new lambs in because guess what? The lambs had to be without spot and without blemish. And so these little wobbly newborn lambs would be wrapped up in these swaddling clothes to keep them free from blemishes. And Jesus was wrapped up in the very same. You see all of these things that happened on that very first night that happened there in Bethlehem, None of it was a coincidence. But God was bringing about salvation. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth, from the foundation of the world. He was the one that came to be that sacrificial lamb, that last substitutionary lamb to make atonement, to pay the price for our sins, because the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death And he was born to die. From the very beginning, even all of the things that was offered up, even the the gifts that the wise men brought pointed to his death. And so we see that there was no coincidence in it. All of it was ordered. They were at the right place, the place that was prophesied. They fulfilled all of the things that went along with him being the sacrificial lamb. We can follow through the rest of his life, and we can see that everything that he did, he did always that which pleased the Father. Over and over, and we've brought this out in our study, over and over, he says, my time is not yet come. And he did everything on a timetable. He did everything according to God's will and God's plan, even to the place that he came to the cross. And Jesus was dying on the cross at the very same time that the Passover lambs were being slain. He was the last Passover. He was that atoning lamb. He was the one meant to make us at one with God. And there's no way that mankind could orchestrate it. There's no way that mankind can make it up. There's no way that we could put all this together, but God can and God was working behind the scenes. He was putting great effort into bringing salvation to mankind, and all of it played out exactly as it was supposed to. But not only that, we find that since the cross and since Bethlehem, God hasn't stopped. Even though Jesus hung upon the cross and he said, It is finished. What that was, that was an accounting term. It was to tetelestai, means paid in full. In other words, the account had been taken care of. It had been settled. It had been paid off. And Jesus says, it is finished on the cross, but it doesn't mean that he sat down, doesn't mean that he stopped. It doesn't mean that he quit working in the lives and in the circumstances of the world which we live in, because if we continue to follow from that time, God has still been working to bring salvation to us. It's an amazing study if we go beyond what we see in the scriptures. We have looked at uh, through the book of Acts, and we've seen how God miraculously caused the gospel to go out within 30 years' time to go out from Jerusalem and reach the entire Roman Empire, and to go out of the Roman Empire and reach the entire world. And you and I are sitting here today with a Bible in our laps, with a knowledge of God's plan and his word, and an understanding of the, God has made a way for us to hear the gospel, for us to have a means of salvation, for us to be redeemed and restored unto him. If we look through time and uh, circumstances since the Bible was written, you find that God has been working through kingdoms. Mankind has tried to corrupt and has tried to change. There's been persecutions. There's been all sorts of religions and false teachings. There's been those who have tried to destroy Christianity and stamp it out. Uh, Paul was one of the first ones whenever he was Saul of Tarsus. He says, I'm going to wipe out Christianity from under the face of the sun. And instead, he became one of the biggest proponents spreading it but not only him, but we see all sorts of religious persecutions from different religious groups and churches, so-called, trying to wipe out the truth of God's word. There have been those who've raised themselves up against the Bible and said, I'm going to wipe it off of the face of the earth. I'm going to destroy every copy. I'm going to burn them all. I'm going to destroy every Christian. I'm going to burn them. I'm going to drown them. I'm going to behead them. And yet, throughout all of that, God is working to make sure that his plan of salvation will remain, that it will go forth into all the world, and that mankind will have the opportunity to have his sins forgiven, to have his eternity secured, to have his soul saved. God has been working miraculously down through the ages to preserve and to persevere. He's been allowing his saints as they're facing cruel mockings and scourgings and deaths and all these things, he is giving them the strength that they need to face that and to go forth for his glory. He has overcame so many different things, and he is not going to stop. The Bible tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, and though everything has stood against it, though Satan has tried his hardest, though he has tried to wipe out Christianity from the face of this earth, God has still protected. He has still made a pathway and guided so that we have the word of God before us today, we have salvation presented to us today so that we can know him, so that we can have our sins forgiven, so that we can know that heaven will be our home. And so if we trace this from Adam, we can trace from him God's provision, God's hand at work, bringing about a lineage, bringing about a people through whom Jesus would be born, and then bringing about the work of the cross, and then from the cross, bringing about the work of the church as the gospel goes forth, as evangelism happens throughout all of the world, going from place to place, from people to people, through time and space, down through the ages, until it arrives in your ears and before your eyes to penetrate your mind and your heart, so you'll believe upon him, you'll trust him as your savior, and you can have eternal life. God has been at work God has done it all, and he has done all of that so that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. It is amazing what God has done. It's amazing the work that he has wrought. It's amazing how much effort he has put in just so that you can hear the truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That is what he has done. He has put all of this, this entire book chronicles what God has done to make salvation available to you. And the fact that that baby lay in the manger 2,000 years ago, it might be nostalgic for us. It may be entertaining for us. We might like to look at it and sing about it and talk about it. But if it wasn't for all of the work that God had done to bring about that birth, to put himself onto this earth and to put himself onto that cross and to resurrect himself on the third day so that we can have eternal life. If it wasn't for all of the effort that God has put in place behind the scenes, we would have nothing, we would have no hope. Because you and I can't save ourselves. We can't work it out. We can't make it happen. The Bible says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, right? But God has done a miracle. He has done a great work to make salvation available to you. And so don't ever think that God doesn't love you, that you're not important. Don't ever think that God somehow has been unfair to this world because uh, there is a judgment, because there is an eternity, because God has done everything to make salvation available. And it's up to us whether or not we accept it. And let me take it one step further. He's still not done with us whenever we accept salvation because he's still working in our lives. He's still ordering our steps. He's still directing our paths. And we find in his word that that good work which he has begun in us, he will bring to completion. He will finish it. So if you're sitting here today and you have trusted Christ as your savior, know that God has put great effort into providing you that salvation and that he is continuing to put great effort in your life to guide you, to refine you, and to one day bring you into his presence. And so my challenge for us today, as we look through this Christmas season, as we think about Jesus and the the babe in the manger and the, the wise men and the shepherds and the angels, that didn't sing, by the way, as we think about all these different things, Realize what God has done. Realize what it means, what effort God has put in to making salvation available. And take some time to be grateful, to be thankful for the work that he has done. Because you can't work for your salvation, but God has worked miraculously for your salvation. And if you're in here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, All these things that I've been saying, I hope that they have been communicated clearly. But God wants you. If you are in here today and there's never been a time that you've realized, I am a sinner and I stand guilty before God and I can't save me. I need help. God knows you needed that help and he provided it. And he has promised for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All it takes is for you saying, I know I'm a sinner. I can't fix it. The church can't fix it. My good deeds can't fix it. Jesus, will you forgive me? Will you save me? Jesus, will you fix it? That's all it takes. Because we can't save ourselves. But God has emptied heaven and earth in order to make it available for you. And so never think that God doesn't love you. Never think that God doesn't want you because all of the effort that he has put in says to the contrary. And so I hope through all this, hopefully it'll make you think, hopefully you'll realize that that babe in a manger wasn't just a cute story. It is one of the main points of God's huge work to make it so that you can stand before him one day in heaven so that you can be in that place that he has prepared and that you can live eternally with him. Adam started out in the glory of God. He started out in the being able to fellowship with God. We are going to end in the fellowship with God in his presence, but it took this huge work of God to connect those two points. Don't take it for granted. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your many blessings. We do thank you for the day that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for uh, this work of salvation that you've wrought, Lord. And Lord, I've, I've tried my best and my feeble abilities to communicate these things, Lord. And I appreciate so much these thoughts that you've put in my mind and my heart. Lord, how much you love us, how much effort that you've put forth to bring about salvation for us. Help us, Lord, to uh, meditate on it. Help us to appreciate it. And Lord, we thank you for it. I pray if there's one here today that don't know you as their Savior, I pray that today they would act upon uh, this offer that you've put out. All the effort that you have put into bringing salvation before their eyes, I pray, Lord, that they would accept your offer of salvation, that they would be forgiven, and Lord, they would make heaven their home. Lord, we thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. ask your blessing on our time together and our fellowship with each other. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.